Chapter One of the Portent. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gemma. The Portent by George MacDonald. Chapter One My Boyhood. My father belonged to the widespread family of the Campbells and possessed a small landed property in the north of Argyle. But although of long descent and high connection, he was no richer than many a farmer of a few hundred acres, for, with the exception of a narrow belt of arable land at its foot, a bare hill formed almost the whole of his possessions. The sheep ate over it, and no doubt found it good. I bounded and climbed all over it, and thought it a kingdom. From my very childhood I had rejoiced in being alone. The sense of room about me had been one of my greatest delights. Hence, when my thoughts go back to those old years, it is not the house, nor the family room, nor that in which I slept, that first of all rises before my inward vision, but that desolate hill, the top of which was only a wide expanse of moorland, rugged with height and hollow, and dangerous with deep, dark pools, but in many portions purple with large belled heather, and crowded with cranberry and blueberry plants. Most of all I loved it in the still autumn morning, outstretched in stillness, high uplifted towards the heaven. On every stalk hung the dew in tiny drops, which, while the rising sun was low, sparkled and burned with the hues of all the gems. Here and there a bird gave a cry, no other sound awoke the silence. I never see the statue of the Roman youth praying with outstretched arms and open, empty, level palms, as waiting to receive and hold the blessing of the gods, but that outstretched barren heath rises before me, as if it meant the same thing as the statue, or were, at least, the fit room in the middle space of which to set the praying and expectant youth. There was one spot upon the hill, halfway between the valley and the moorland, which was my favourite haunt. This part of the hill was covered with great blocks of stone, of all shapes and sizes, here crowded together like the slain where the battle had been fiercest, there parting asunder from spaces of delicate green, of softest grass. In the centre of one of these green spots, on a steep part of the hill, there were three huge rocks two projecting out of the hill, rather than standing up from it, and one likewise projecting from the hill, but lying across the tops of the two, so as to form a little cave, the back of which was the side of the hill. This was my refuge, my home within a home, my study, and in the hot noons often my sleeping chamber and my house of dreams. If the wind blew cold on the hillside, a hollow of lulling warmth was there, scooped, as it were, out of the body of the blast, which, sweeping around, whistled keen and thin through the cracks and crannies of the rocky chaos that lay all about, in which confusion of rocks the wind plunged and flowed and eddied and withdrew, as the sea-waves on the cliffy shores or the unknown rugged bottoms. Here I would often lie, as the sun went down, and watch the silent growth of another sea, which the stormy ocean of the wind could not disturb, the sea of the darkness. First it would begin to gather in the bottom of hollow places, deep valleys and all little pits on the hillsides, 
were well-springs where it gathered, and whence it seemed to overflow, till it had buried the earth beneath its mass, and, rising high into the heavens, swept over the faces of the stars, washed the blinding day from them, and let them shine down through the waters of the dark to the eyes of men below. I would lie till nothing but the stars and the dim outlines of hills against the sky was to be seen, and then rise and go home, as sure of my path as if I had been descending a dark staircase in my father's house. On the opposite side of the valley another hill lay parallel to mine, and behind it, at some miles' distance, a great mountain. As often as, in my hermit's cave, I lifted my eyes from the volume I was reading, I saw this mountain before me. Very different was its character from that of the hill on which I was seated. It was a mighty thing, a chieftain of the race, seamed and scarred, featured with chasms and precipices and overleaning rocks, themselves huge as hills, here blackened with shade, there overspread with glory, interlaced with the silvery lines of falling streams, which, hurrying from heaven to earth, cared not how they went, so it were downwards. Fearful stories were told of the gulfs, sullen waters, and dizzy heights upon that terror-haunted mountain. In storms the wind roared like thunder in its caverns and along the jagged sides of its cliffs, but at other times that uplifted land uplifted, yet secret and full of dismay, lay silent as a cloud on the horizon. I had a certain peculiarity of constitution, which I have some reason to believe I inherit. It seems to have its root in an unusual delicacy of hearing, which often conveys to me sounds inaudible to those about me. This I have had many opportunities of proving. It has likewise, however, brought me sounds which I could never trace back to their origin, though they may have arisen from some natural operation which I had not perseverance or mental acuteness sufficient to discover. From this, or it may be, from some deeper cause with which this is connected, arose a certain kind of fearfulness associated with the sense of hearing, of which I have never heard a corresponding instance. Full as my mind was of the wild and sometimes fearful tales of a highland nursery, fear never entered my mind by the eyes, nor, when I brooded over tales of terror, and fancied new and yet more frightful embodiments of horror, did I shudder at any imaginable spectacle, or tremble lest the fancy should become fact, and from behind the wind-bush or the elder hedge should glide forth the tall swaying form of the boneless. When alone in bed I used to lie awake, and look out into the room, peopling it with the forms of all the persons who had died within the scope of my memory and acquaintance. These fancied forms were vividly present to my imagination. I pictured them pale with dark circles around their hollow eyes, visible by a light which glimmered from within them, not the light of life, but a pale, greenish phosphorescence generated by the decay of the brain inside. Their garments were white and trailing, but torn and soiled, as by trying often in vain to get up out of the buried coffin. But so far from being terrified by these imaginings, I used to delight in them, and in the long winter evenings, when I did not happen to have any book that interested me sufficiently, I used even to look forward with expectation to the hour when, laying myself straight upon my back, as if my bed were my coffin, I could call up from underground all who had passed away, and see how they fared, 
yea, what progress they had made towards final dissolution of form, but all the time with my fingers pushed hard into my ears, lest the faintest sound should invade the silent citadel of my soul. If inadvertently I removed one of my fingers, the agony of terror I instantly experienced is indescribable. I can compare it to nothing but the rushing in upon my brain of a whole churchyard of spectres. The very possibility of hearing a sound, in such a mood and at such a time, was almost enough to paralyze me. So I could scare myself in broad daylight, on the open hillside, by imagining unintelligible sounds and my imagination was both original and fertile in the invention of such. But my mind was too active to be often subjected to such influences. Indeed, life would have been hardly endurable had these moods been of more than occasional occurrence. As I grew older, I almost outgrew them. Yet sometimes one awful dread would seize me, that, perhaps, the prophetic power manifest in the gift of second sight, which, according to the testimony of my old nurse, had belonged to several of my ancestors, had been in my case transformed in kind without losing its nature, transferring its abode from the sight to the hearing, whence resulted its keenness and my fear and suffering. End of chapter 1